0: Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to the broadcast ministry of Return to the Word with Pastor Mark Fontecchio, advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now, here is pastor and author, Mark Fontecchio.
1: Three preachers got together for coffee, and they were discussing the subject of when life begins. And the liberal preacher, you never want to trust the liberal preacher, the liberal preacher said, life begins when the child takes his or her first breath. Well, the conservative preacher jumped in on that. He, he didn't like that at all. And he said, no, sir, it begins when the child is conceived. But the preacher, with a bit of humor, said... No, you both have it wrong. Life begins when the last child leaves home (laughs) and the dog dies. Funny but not funny because of what we read in the news. You may have seen that the United States Supreme Court is once again debating when life begins. I mean, how is this a debate? I don't know. But they're debating it. And Liberal Justice Sonia Sotomayor, if you saw her comment, she made the very disgusting comment disgusting comment, comparing a child in the womb to someone who is brain dead. That's a dangerous path to say when you start saying that a child in the womb is brain dead. But the world has seen this type of mindset before. It was Hitler who wrote in his book, Mein Kampf, he said this, those who are physically and mentally unhealthy and unworthy must not perpetuate their suffering in the body of their children. And then once he got Several of these laws early on put onto the book, several groups of German citizens were slated to be sterilized. Then by August of 1938, this this train started making movement and Hitler's office issued a statement saying children up to the age of three who are retarded or deformed must be registered by midwives or physicians. And then three physicians would decide at that point, life or death of a child, without even examining them. At over 30 special clinics, selected children were killed by injection and starvation. And later that age was extended to the age of 17. Do you see the slope? Then it was applied to the elderly. Some of you are getting older. You might want to pay attention. Some of you are a little bit crazy. It applied to the mental patients. Some of you are a little bit rebellious. It applied to the criminals. It was a plunge down that slippery slope, and it became known as the Holocaust, the death of somewhere over 11 million people in the name of eugenics, creating supposedly the super race. Their life, when appraised, just wasn't of enough high quality. So six million Jews are dead and five million more killed because of race, political reasons, or maybe their behavior. One million of those that were killed were children. One million were children. Now, if you think this could never happen in this country, you're deceived. You're wrong because it already has. It already has happened here. See, before Hitler, it was the United States of America who led the world in forced sterilizations. Between 1907 and 1939, the United States has a shameful past. More than 30,000 people in 29 states were sterilized, many of them without knowing, or it was done against their will when they're held in prisons or institutions for the mentally ill. Because the elites took Charles Darwin's principle of natural selection and applied it to society. And since that dreadful decision, of 1973 of Roe versus Wade, over 62 million babies have been killed, aborted, murdered under the banner of freedom of choice. Don't tell me God bless the United States. I'm a patriot. I love my country, but I'm not going to say God bless the United States in this church because 62 million babies have been murdered. We live in a genocide right now. It's disgusting. But I will be curious to see how these same liberals stand for freedom when it comes to freedom to control our own health care in the days ahead. Or will the health care of the undesirables be rationed because of illness or age or maybe faith in Christ make us a little less worthwhile to have around? See, it's in Genesis 1 where we see that God gave a a different standard about life, about where it comes from and who grants us the right to live. See, the freedom to live, the freedom, the very basic freedom to live is under attack in this country and all around the world. And it is the most basic right given to us by a God in heaven. And if it is not for this that you can stand, I don't know what you're standing for. You've been deceived. You're deceiving yourself into following demonic deception. Didn't David say this in Psalm 139 to God? He said, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. See, that should end it for the Christian on the subject of abortion. That ends it. We're done. Join me this morning in Genesis 1, where we learn of where the right to life first came from. And we're going to start with verse 20. We have a great text. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now, evolutionists have everything backwards and mixed up. They're confused in their own minds. They claim that the reptiles became birds. The Bible says God made the birds to fly right from the beginning. Controlled flight. You guys that work on planes, you know more about this than I will ever know. But controlled flight is something that man has only been able to replicate with machines for a little over 100 years. God created animals with the ability to fly on day five of creation. Controlled flight takes a lot of things the main surfaces need to be balanced out typically there's a tail something that can change the direction of the flying machine there must be some sort of control to coordinate the direction and the speed of the flight it is incredibly complex and could not have come about by a series of random mutations and natural selection now the Wright brothers they figured this out for controlled flight you need the correct wing shape to give lower air pressure on the upper surface. You need a large enough wing to support the weight to get it airborne. And you need something to propel yourself. You need some way to make it go in a way to change speed and direction. Well, birds, insects and bats, see, they they all have this. And even extinct reptiles called pterosaurs, they have mastered flight right from day five of creation. But each class of creature is different. Bird wings are made of feathers. Let's think this through. They're made of feathers. And insect wings, they have membranes. And bat wings use skin spread out over a skeleton. So if evolution was true, all these random mutations would have had to happen three separate times. Once for the birds, once for insects, and once for bats in order for them all to be able to fly. But then why hasn't it happened again? Why has nobody ever seen something like that happen? Look at what God did in Genesis. This is absolutely great. People who believe that God took a really long time to create believe in the basic lie of the evolutionary time scale in order of events, which puts the land creatures before the things that can fly. But how does God record it through Moses? Things that fly on day five, things on the land on day six. He confronts it right there. Consider the feathers on birds. They are remarkable. They're incredible, incredible feats of design. You can see the design of the creator in the bird feathers. They're extremely light. They're wind resistant. The tops and bottoms of the feathers have something that almost act like Velcro, but yet they're extremely flexible, enabling them to use their wings for flight, for protection. But birds can only do this because they have light and strong bones that are hollow. And in many birds, in order to keep their strength, they have cross members, which began to be copied and used in the middle of the last century in airplanes. They're referred to as a Warren's truss. If you've worked on planes, you've probably heard of that. These large birds like eagles, think of these large birds like eagles, are vultures. They would break apart in flight. They would break apart without these cross members in their bones. Birds have lungs that breathe differently from mammals and reptiles, differently even from dinosaurs, because the respiratory system of a bird allows the oxygen to be fed straight into air sacs that are connected directly to the heart, the lungs, and the stomach. Now, this system is amazing because it keeps the air flowing in one direction, one direction in the lung through tubes, with their blood moving in the complete opposite direction. They don't have to exhale before they inhale. That's pretty cool, and it's amazing, and it's important for them. See, we breathe about 12 times a minute. That's the average. We breathe about 12 times a minute. Small birds can actually breathe up to 250 times a minute. Now I want you to think with me for a second. What if evolution was true? What if evolution was true? What if we had a bird that had evolved to the point that it out almost everything, almost everything it needed to fly? The lungs of a bird, hollow bones, feathers, warm blood, a forward-facing elbow joint, but it didn't have a tail. It didn't have a tail. It wouldn't make it long. It wouldn't be able to control its flight. Without a tail, controlled flight is impossible. If you have ever made a paper airplane, you know this to be true just simply by making a paper airplane. All of these aspects of the bird are controlled by a nervous system in the brain, pre-programmed by God to allow them to know how to do this. You need a complete bird in order to have flight, which we did on day five of creation. Day five was the day that God created the creatures that live in the water and in the air. Now, the King James missteps in verse 20 by saying, let the waters bring forth. The waters didn't do anything. That's not what the text says. The waters didn't do anything on their own. It was God who did it. It should be, as the New King James records, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. God spoke it into existence. God created the fish, the whales, the dolphins. All of these were created on the same day because they swim in the sea. But whales and dolphins are mammals, not fish. They're they're mammals. So how do they live underneath the water? Good question. Well, here's what God did. He gave them huge, huge lung capacities so they could maintain these long, long dives and just hold their breath. He gave them strong tails for swimming, eyes that could help them to see underneath the water that can withstand the high pressure of being underneath the water ears that can pick up noise underneath the water, but again, being protected from high pressure. They didn't evolve on land. God put them in the water and designed them this way. In Genesis, we learn the command was given by God and immediately the waters of the earth were filled with all kinds of creatures that were able to swim. God created sea creatures Not just great whales, as the old King James says. That's, again, not the meaning in the Hebrew. Notice the statements in verse 21 that these creatures in the air and in the sea reproduced after their kind, meaning they didn't evolve. They didn't change into different kinds. It's a direct contradiction to the idea that God used evolution to create. God commanded back in verse 20 that the birds would fly above the earth, it says across the face of the firmament of the heavens. Now, the Hebrew is telling us here that the flying creatures are moving over the surface of the expanse. Remember that the Hebrew word for firmament is this idea in Hebrew of stretching out the expanse of the heavens, the expanse of space. And so it makes a beautiful and perfect sense here that the text tells us the birds would fly across the face of the expanse of the heavens. But God not only created, he gave these wonderful creatures the ability to fill the air and the seas with life. You know, a group of about 3,000 researchers, 3,000 researchers spent a decade of time, 10 years, attempting to get the first census of marine life in the oceans. And what they saw was incredible. They made some incredible discoveries. 6,000 new species that we didn't even know existed, all made after their own kind, as Genesis declares, bringing the known marine species to 250,000. And some of them range from the bizarre to the beautiful, like these 600-year-old tube worms, tube worms, Herring that swim in formations as large as Manhattan itself. The Yeti crab, which has long claws that look like fur mittens. Crazy looking. A jellyfish that looks like it has a Darth Vader helmet on. Come on, it does. (laughs) Tell me it doesn't. And there's a different jellyfish they discovered that uses lights to scream for help. These scientists who worked closely with the project reported that they were constantly surprised and stunned by the diversity and the abundance and the beauty of what we would call God's creation. One of the vice chairs for the project said this. He said, life astonished everywhere we looked. The discoveries of the new species in the habitats both advanced science and inspired artists with their extraordinary beauty. And another May scientist said this, the most surprising thing was the beauty. Our eyes popped out of our heads in front of this beauty. And even to this, they said that 20% of the ocean has yet to be explored. That even now, after a decade, after a decade and all that work, they only have the snapshots of the diversity and beauty of the creation under the sea. Now I'll say this, isn't it amazing that when researchers spend billions and billions of dollars looking in space for intelligent life, they never find it. But when they spend the time to look where God says he put the life, they find it. They find it. And they find it in abundance. And it's beautiful, just as the word of God describes. Verse 22. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. This is the fifth day of creation. God calls his creation good. So good. And the Bible says that God blessed them, instructing them, programming them, if you will, to be fruitful and multiply. And God would again give a similar command to the animals after the flood. This is the first time the Bible says that God blessed the first time that God says he blessed And it is used of the fish in the sea and the birds in the air. Teaching us the ability to procreate is a blessing. It's a blessing that comes from God. He didn't say this to the plant life, did he? If you remember from our studies, he didn't say that about the plants. Telling us that there's a difference between plant life and the created animals. Evolution says that marine life came first, then land plants and later birds. God says, no, not so fast. The plants came first, then marine life and birds all on the same day. Here comes day six of creation, starting with verse 24. Then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and the beasts of the earth, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now on day six, God created the land animals, everything from dogs to dinosaurs. You may have noticed I just said nothing about cats, nothing. Not sure how they got there. This includes the behemoth of Job 40. This includes that even said to have a tail like a large cedar tree. Dinosaurs were created on day six of creation, not millions of years ago. This fits everything we find left over from these big creatures. The blood cells and DNA left over from dinosaur bones. These things could not have survived 65 million years, which is when evolutionists say dinosaurs became extinct, but they absolutely fit the evidence of a young earth. Notice the wording of verse 24, let the earth bring forth the living creation according to its what kind. See, the text is very, very specific here. God caused the animals to come out of the earth. God could have created them out of nothing, but he didn't do that this time. And we learned that God made the animals into two categories, cattle and creeping thing. Now, cattle includes the domesticated animals like sheep, creeping things. You might be thinking about insects, but that's not what the text is saying. That's not what it means. It's reptiles and amphibians and things like frogs. And then beasts of the earth. Well, these are the animals that could not be domesticated. This would include the dinosaurs. But remember, at this point in the creation, they were all vegetarian. Verse 30 is going to show us this. It surprises a lot of people, and it surprises me that it surprises so many people, but it surprises a lot of people that the Bible shows dinosaurs and mankind actually lived at the same time. I alluded to this before, but take a look at Job 40, where God told Job this. He said, now, look now at the behemoth, which I made along with you. He eats grass like an ox. See now, his strength is in his hips and his power is in his stomach muscles. He moves his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are tightly knit. Behemoth here is just a transliteration from the Hebrew, referring here to a single animal. But interesting in the Hebrew how it's written, because it's written in a plural form to give us an understanding of the size of this animal. He was the beast of the beasts. And God reminded Job that he formed the behemoth along with him, referring to the fact that God made humans and beasts both on day six. It's a remarkable description here of this behemoth, a grass eating land animal. And then later on in verse 19, it's described as the chief of God's works, which his tail like is, is like a tall cedar, it says, which is the largest tree in the Middle East. Sounds a lot like a dinosaur to me. Specifically, it's probably a reference to this guy, what is known today as the sauropod. They have found some of the skulls of these sauropods and they have discovered that they have really small teeth. Why? For stripping vegetation, for stripping vegetation. They did a CT scan on these teeth and discovered that some of these sauropods would regrow teeth every few months. Isn't that kind of interesting? Some of them, not all of them, but some of them would have up to nine backup teeth in their jaws with spare teeth, just lined up in the sockets, ready to come out and be used ready for when they're needed. Sounds like a creator kind of maybe put them there and made this possible. Doesn't it? The Bible again tells us in verse 25 that God saw it was good. All creatures, great and small, the Lord God made them all. So here comes the high point of the text. The world was now ready for man. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. One day, a zookeeper noticed that the monkey in the zoo was reading two books. In one hand, he had a Bible. And in the other hand, he had Darwin's book, The Origin of Species. He was a little surprised by this. And the zookeeper asked the monkey, he said, why are you reading both of those books? And to this, the monkey could only reply, I just wanted to know if I was my brother's keeper or my keeper's brother. Someone once asked, and I think they're right. And it's profound, but simple. If we evolved from monkeys, why are there still monkeys? Evolution is the confusion that comes from the mind of men. It doesn't come from God. It's the poison that leads to the devaluation of human life. See, the Bible says God created each kind of animal and God saw that it was good. And so we come to this creation of mankind, the high point of the creation week. God made man in his image and likeness in the eternal counsel of the triune God. And he said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Likeness and image are synonyms. This means that God has given mankind the ability to reason, to love. He's given mankind the ability to have fellowship with him. Do not underestimate how blessed we are by the grace of God because of that. He's given us the ability to think for ourselves. He's given us the ability to have discernment, morality, language. He's given us the ability to be representatives of him. Animals are not that. This is the basis for the sanctity of human life. Even lost people understand this. Even lost people see this. Here's a name you may not know, but you should. In 1969, Dr. Bernard Nathanson, he served as the medical advisor for the National Association for the Repeal of Abortion Laws. Now it's known as Pro-Choice America. You've heard of them, Pro-Choice America. Well, after abortion was legalized in 1973, he became the director at the Center for Reproductive Health, which was the largest abortion clinic in the Western world. In 1974, in an article published for the New England Journal of Medicine, Dr. Nathanson was growing uneasy with abortion. It was starting to wear on him. Here's what he wrote at the time. He says, I'm deeply troubled by my own increasing uncertainty that I had in fact, presided over 60,000 deaths. There's no longer serious doubt in my mind that human life exists from the very onset of pregnancy. His unease was intensified by the arrival of ultrasound technology, and Nathan said this, for the first time, we could really see the human fetus, measure, observe it, watch it, indeed, bond with it and love it, and I changed my mind because the new scientific data persuaded me that we could not indiscriminately continue to slaughter what was demonstrably a human being. It wasn't even a Christian, but he could see that abortion is murder. You know, it's the leading cause of death, even with COVID. People are freaking out about COVID, freak out about abortion. It's the leading cause of death. It still is the leading cause of death by far. See, half of the way through this year, if you added up all the worldwide causes of other death, you took all the other causes of death and made halfway through 2021, it would be 33.4 million people that died in the first half of 2021. And just half of the way through 2021, there were over 24 million babies aborted worldwide. 24 million. Nothing kills more people than abortion. Nothing is even close. At 44 days, the baby has become something everyone in this room can recognize. At 25 to 28 days, the baby's heart is developing at a rate of 1 million cells per second. At 32 days, the arms and the hands are developing, and within five weeks, you could start to see the heart's atrium and the ventricles. A week later, the heart is becoming mature. At 52 days, the retina and the nose and the fingers are all developing. At 52 days, and by the time the baby is born, full term, it has 60,000 miles of vessels inside of it. Then God said, then Elohim said, let us make man in our image according to his likeness. There's no room in the Bible for man descending from ape-like creatures. And there's just no room in the Bible for the murder of babies in the womb. There's no room. The Bible is teaching us that God has a unique relationship with mankind that is not the same as animals. Or think of it this way. If God was going to appear on earth, it would be inconceivable for him to appear as an animal. But he did come as a man, perfectly in harmony with his character for him to appear in the form of a man. See, the Bible is telling us that God intended to make a creation that is similar to himself. Both the Hebrew word for image and the word for likeness refer to something that is similar to, but not identical to what it represents. This is where the right to life comes from. And the sanctity of life comes from. It comes from a holy God in heaven who created in Genesis 9:6, God forbids murder. He forbids murder and he ordains the death penalty for it. Why? He tells us for in the image of God, he made man. That's why. And even in James, when he warns of the danger of the tongue, he said this with it, we bless our God and father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God, similitude, likeness of God. Guard your sharp tongue. Christians guard it. Don't curse your fellow man. The image of God in man was never lost completely in the fall, just stained. This does not mean we have the power of God, nor does it mean that we are gods. But he has granted to mankind his likeness, the ability to reason, love, forgive, discern right from wrong. And so therefore, God has commanded us to have dominion over the rest of creation. Now, this means we do not worship the environment, but we should be good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. And notice this here in verse 27. Yes, absolutely. God has different roles for men and women. Yes, man was made first. But what does the end of verse 27 say? Male and female, he created them. Both male and female are made in the image of God. Women are not second class citizens. Honestly, believe there's a, a lot of independent, legalistic, Baptist churches that need to take a hard, hard look at these verses and repent of their spiritual abuse. I'm sorry, it's disgusting. Because what they're peddling is not of God. Women are made in God's likeness. It was Darwin that taught that women are inferior to men. That's who taught that. And I think a lot of uneducated and prideful Christian men agree with him to their own sin. And let me also just hit you with this Genesis 1 should eliminate once and for all any idea that one color of skin is better than the other. We all came from Adam and Eve. And it is as simple as saying this. If I put a white chicken egg up here and a dark chicken egg up here and crack them open, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. It's just the shells got a little bit darker. If you're a racist, you don't believe the Bible. It's just that simple. And there's no room for that. God created one man, one woman. This is where marriage comes from. And part of the purpose of marriage is to have children. Verse 28. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, if you're using the old King James, I'm going to pick on you again. Verse 28 says, replenish the earth. Well, that's a problem here. That is a big, big problem here in the text. It's not a good translation in today's English. It's just not. But this is another case, actually, of the meaning of words changing over time. That's what happened here. The meaning of words change over time. Because now to replenish the earth means to refill the earth. But that's obviously not the idea. Now, many creationists believe this simple misunderstanding contributed to the destructive gap theory. But it should be fill the earth. It should be fill the earth. That's what it should be. But back when the King James was made, here's what happened. In that time, in that day, in that language, adding the simple prefix of the two letters, R and E, didn't always mean doing something again. It didn't always mean doing something again. It meant doing something completely. We still see leftovers of this today in words. Think of the word research. It means search something completely. And here, when this was written in the 1600s for a different time, different culture, and a partly different language, replenishment, fill completely, not fill again. It meant fill completely. You know, it's an old lie that we're in danger of overpopulation. See right now, the fear mongering is in the hands of the evolutionists. Some of you, if you've lived long enough, you've seen some of this in history before. Paul Ehrlich wrote the book Population Bomb in 1968, and he said, the battle to feed all humanity is over. In the 1970s, the world will undergo famine. Hundreds of millions of people are going to starve to death. You know, a lot of people got on board with that movement. Nixon got on board with that movement. It's hard to believe, but he did. This man wanted forced abortions. He wanted prizes for people who didn't have kids. He wanted attacks on children and attacks on diapers. Even though he was proven wrong, he's still a hero to many. In 2006, John Reed, a man who's an atheist and a neuroscientist, he said this. 2006, the population of the world must be very quickly reduced to five billion. You go first, John. And then, as the average level of affluence rises, fairly quickly reduced further to say, two to three billion. Two to three billion. That type of fear-mongering does not come from God. God takes great delight when His people raise up families to follow after him. God took delight in what He made. Christian, take delight in the children and the grandchildren that He makes through you. Amen. God has built into us this amazing ability that through a man and a woman they can create a living soul. Think of that. This is a privilege that comes from God and an act of worship to the one who created life. Psalm 127 teaches, behold children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb is a reward. I'm telling you Christians learn the Bible learn the Bible, learn the word of God, because it stands in direct contradiction to the lies of our day. Genesis 8, makes a promise to us, doesn't it? it? Makes a great promise. It says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer and day and night shall not cease. This was a promise given specifically to Noah right after the flood. Can the climate change a little bit? Absolutely, We're still warming up after the flood. But God is not going to let us destroy the earth. He promised it. He said it's true. The earth will still rotate. We will still go around the sun. Life will go on even during the tribulation when billions of people die. So as long as the earth remains, God promised. He promised what? Cold. Do you feel it this winter? <laughs> His word's true. He promised cold. And heat in winter and summer, day and night, shall not cease. Fill the earth and subdue it. Take dominion over it. Use the resources of this earth to work with your hands. Build homes, harvest crops, rule over creation. And then we read in Genesis And God said, see, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth and every tree whose fruit yields seeds to you, it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there's life. I have given every green herb for food. And it was so. See, there was a limitation in the beginning to man's food. But I want you to notice the emphasis of verse 29. God emphasizes how much he'd given them every herb every fruit tree. He doesn't mention yet the exception of chapter two, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but he'll get there. He still will. And in verse 30, God was not giving the animals for food to Adam and Eve. That's not what he's saying. He's saying both to man and to the animals of the earth, including the birds of the air. They were to eat the plants for food. This was a vegetarian diet. Those who say it was not are coming at it with an agenda to try to fit long ages of time into Genesis one. That's why they're trying to put that in there. But if Adam and Eve were allowed to eat animals right from the beginning, then Genesis nine makes no sense where God now tells Noah in Genesis nine, he could eat the animals. Now see, we don't know when mankind first started eating animals. It could have started right after the fall of man. It could have, we don't know. But all we know is that by the time of Genesis nine, it was first permitted for Noah. Before the fall, none of the animals tried to kill or hurt one another. How great is that? Showing us again, the loving kindness of our God. See, animals were never created to hurt us, and it will be that way again in the kingdom of Christ. Glory to God. The curse is going to be removed. Animals will be at peace with one another, and most importantly, with us. So secure will be this peace in the future. Isaiah says that a young child will be able to exercise the dominion first given to mankind. Animals will again eat the vegetation of the earth. This is the type of perfect creation that existed In Genesis chapter 1, which is why we learn in verse 31, then God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. Notice that very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. This time, God didn't refer to his creation as good. This time he said, very good. This is a perfect creation here. A perfect creation created by a perfect God to which nothing could be added. There were no long ages of time. There was no death. There was no disease. There was no sin. Only God's complete perfection reflected in his creation. History tells of a young little boy named George Patton, eight years old. He told his friends in school that in 1860, he had met the brand new president, Abraham Lincoln. Could you imagine the ridicule of the other kids? Did not did so, did not, did so. On and on that goes. I still do that with the kids. The year was now 1861. It was less than a month before the Civil War was about to start. And young little George, he still insisted. He insisted that he had shaken Lincoln's hand the year before in Springfield, Illinois, when George was with his father, a journalist. But the little boy's classmates did not believe him, would not believe him. So finally, his teacher wrote a letter to the president to discover the truth. Well, she didn't expect him to write back, but he did. He wrote back. His note was short and to the point. And here it is. He responded on March 19th, a good day. March 19th is always a good day. That's my birthday. Of 1861. And he said, to whom it may concern, I did see and talk with Master George Evans Patton last May at Springfield, Illinois. Respectfully, A. Lincoln. The letter sold in 2009 for $60,000. I tell you that because what we have in Genesis 1 is something that isn't that much different. It's Moses telling us that he had met God, the God of Israel. He had met the Creator. This God had led the people out of Egypt. This God had written a letter authenticating his message, authenticating his creation. This letter is slightly longer than Lincoln's letter and plenty of people doubt it. Many people doubt it. But one day they will be proven wrong just the same because everything in this letter shows the handwriting of our creator. So I'm telling you this morning this. Learn to trust Genesis at face value. Learn to trust the words Learn to let God define your identity. Let him define what marriage looks like. Let him define what life looks like. Let him define what is good. And Christian, let him define your worth. And let him tell us in his letter how he did it, how he created. Because creation is foundational. Creation points to a creator, to his design, his love, and his power. Child of God, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Read his letter, trust his letter, and get to know the God who knows you by name.
0: Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word Pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.